<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Big news on impeachment and big news on 2020. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bill Press Pod and welcome to this week's Roundtable. It's about 8.45 on Thursday, November 14, the morning after the first public hearing of the impeachment inquiry, which gave both sides a chance to make their case and gave the American people their first look at why Democrats believe Donald Trump should be impeached and how Republicans plan to defend him. Plus, bombshell news about yet another phone call by President Trump. Meanwhile, the 2020 Democratic primary changes direction almost every day. Pete Buttigieg is suddenly number one in Iowa and climbing fast in New Hampshire. And it looks like the field of candidates might even get bigger with the late entry of Deval Patrick for sure. And maybe Michael Bloomberg and maybe even Hillary Clinton. Hey, we need help to sort it all out. And we've got it on today's roundtable from Reed Epstein. Crack political reporter for the New York Times, back from the campaign trail. Hi, Reed. Welcome. It's good to be here. Good to see you and a neighbor as well. Lauren Burke is a writer for Black Press USA. Hi, Lauren. Hey, how are you? Welcome back. And Matt Gertz joining us, a senior fellow at Media Matters for America. And it was all a great big TV show anyhow yesterday. Uh, (laughs) Hello, Matt. Nice to see you. Good to be here. Welcome to your all. Day one is behind us, six hours uh, two witnesses, um, just general impressions. Day one, how'd it play out? Right. I mean, I am not sure how the American people or let alone the reporters are going to have the stamina to deal with like, weeks of this. <laughs> um, I sort of had it on in the background yesterday. I was kind of listening on and off and it, it, it felt like, you know, as, apart from the beginning when there was this revelation of this other phone call, it was it felt like a lot of mush. Uh, it was uh, it felt confusing. Uh, there were a lot of Ukrainian names that I think a casual viewer would not have been familiar with. Uh, and it certainly didn't feel to me as accessible a storyline as kind of had been presented over the last six or eight weeks on the story. Right. Um, and so, you know, it coming out of these depositions from the 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 various opening statements and transcripts that we had seen there was a very consistent story arc all heading in a different direction and i thought that if you had just tuned in yesterday you would have seen the republicans doing uh not a terrible job at kind of mucking that up and uh, which which was their goal which was their goal right and to right. make it uh essentially to make it bad tv yeah. uh, it was not a this was not kind of the Woodward and Bernstein story of like one bombshell revelation after another. It was interspersed between stuff we already knew and Republicans uh, sending us down crazy rabbit holes. So it was a meant to be a TV show. Was it a compelling TV show, Matt Gertz? Here's our TV expert here with us. <laughs> but also, um, both sides wanted it um, on TV to 
either get the message out or to debunk the message, right? And the networks went out of the way, networks, not just the cable news, to carry it live. Was it so compelling that they'll continue to do so? I know there are a lot of questions all at one time, but what do you What's yeah, I mean, I thought it was a fairly compelling case, especially in the first couple of hours, which is what I would expect most people who turned in, tuned in to see it would be watching, right? It would be that's, Schiff's opening statement. That's an important be, point that most people in the country, if they watched any of it all, probably watched first hour, maybe, huh? Sure. And, and so I, or watching. I mean, we'll see. I mean, I presume we'll see some sort of. Don't be some ratings. But but I mean, that's, you know, Schiff's opening statement, Nunez's rebuttal, uh, the opening statements from both of the witnesses and some of the initial questioning. Uh, I think both Kent and Taylor did a pretty good job of laying out the ways in which uh, the parallel tracks of policy were set up in Ukraine um, and the ways in which that was um, extremely unusual and uh, not in the best interests of uh, our country, Ukraine. they said wrong is a word they used. They did. Uh, and I think coming from people who have you know, 70 years of experience in government, basically uh, spotless records in that regard, I, I think that that could have some impact. I also think that, you know, to some extent, um, it, it's, it's uh, I, I would not expect huge percentages of the American people to tune into this all day long. Um, they have jobs and other stuff to do and so you know the, the, role, the economy is really good people have jobs now sure. <laughs> there you go. Uh, i mean the role of the media in sort of taking what they see uh through actually watching six hours of testimony and uh, you know bringing it down to uh news segments and news stories uh, is going to be pretty important so lauren there was nothing new except one thing yeah. new uh that everybody was calling it the bombshell right um about the extra this additional call mm-hmm. right that nobody knew about before ambassador taylor had just heard about since his last de- deposition what was that impact do you think i think that was pretty huge obviously it led on the new york times uh, on the website all day and we think it's a call between david holmes and mr sondland with the president on the phone talking so loudly that everyone could hear them without having a phone to their ear <laughs> but, so that by the was way can we say in a public restaurant <laughs> Right. In Kiev. <laughs> right. On the speaker phone. That's right. Yeah. You like that, huh? I mean, that is typical of this administration and I care about, you know, it's just security national security. Else. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, I actually thought that, to my surprise, the hearings, I was there for a little bit of it. Um, I, I thought that Taylor and Kent laid it out in a way that was extremely compelling. And I think the Democrats good for them, did not make the mistake of having them be the mouthpiece telling everybody the information. So you have some member of Congress doing the talking and not the actual people who heard what they heard, who testified, et cetera, and so on. So what you had there was uh, Dan Goldman and uh, the Democrats leading them through being the authority on this with all their years of experience. And uh, they were not at one point, the uh, there were some questions that tried to lead them in the direction of saying, you know, yeah, we think Trump is a bad guy. Or, and, and they sort of deflected that, which gives them even more authority. Right. Well, so it was not a, uh, you know, one of these hearings that you normally see where somebody is trying to make some sort of a, a video for YouTube that's going to go viral. Some member of Congress who had them testifying almost the entire time. And that was, I think, a really good move. But on the that's part. On that point, Reed, to me, it was almost a flashback to a Washington that used to be mm-hmm. 
And you looked at these two career diplomats there, one of them in the bow tie. Right. If they didn't look like two guys from the 50s, I, you know, I don't know right. what did, right? But the, I mean, the thing that was struck and, me. And they were up there as the witnesses. The thing right. that was striking about that is like that is the Washington that Donald Trump ran against. Um, yeah. And to some extent, that is the Washington that Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are running against. Not necessarily the career mm -hmm. diplomat. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. uh you know, career government employee piece of it, that that's what Trump ran against. But there is a big sense in the country that, you know, Washington is a mess and the way things have been going is wrong. And uh, for Donald Trump in 2016 and since then, that's been about kind of these entrenched government officials who have been doing a job in a certain way for decades and blowing that up. Uh, that's, I, I guess I am a little skeptical that, this hearing was necessarily all bad for Trump, despite the new evidence that came out. Um, given that the, the game plan for Democrats, dem the goal for House Democrats is to get even a handful of House Republicans to vote with them at the end of this. Right. Um, and if they're unable to move public opinion in a big way on it uh, or peel away part of Trump's argument, then they're not going to be able to do that. The one question I had was why the Democrats would start <laughs> with two witnesses who were not pro-impeachment, right? And they made that very clear. And the Republicans went out of their way, Matt, to try to make them pro-impeachment star witnesses, anti-Trump people. I thought, and then I sort of changed my mind because, I mean, I thought they held their own as independent career diplomats who were just interested in what was the best in the best interest of this country. I hate to sound too old fashioned like that, but they did not come across as never Trumpers. Yeah, and I think that's sort of a, a damned if you fair? do, damned if you don't, right? Because th this sort of portrayal was, oh, you're not willing to say that this is impeachable. Why won't you do that? But of course, if they were willing to say that, then they would be deep state never Trumpers whose uh, testimonies could not be taken seriously. So it's 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 a bit of a trap there that I think they avoided uh, falling into. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, that this is certainly um, uh, old Washington, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, in action, you, people who have spent their entire lives in public service uh, trying to do what they believed was in the best interest of the country, speaking out on uh, behavior that they saw that was uh, that they believed was unusual and wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. there's been a, a very obvious uh, effort by uh, the president, by congressional Republicans to try to undermine uh, people of that uh, nature and suggest that, uh, they are, you know, enemies of the president by virtue of the fact that they have, you know, some sort of uh, uh, sense that there are norms that should be maintained. Right. right. Anyone who, I mean, by this standard, anyone who is not, uh, doesn't sort of bend the truth to whatever Trump says it is, is an enemy of the president. Yeah. yeah. And if, you know, if, if and will be tweeted as such. Right. The uh, problem is if your deep state conspiracy is being run by these two guys, right? Yep. <laughs> Ambassador Taylor and, and George Kent, then that's pretty shocking, right? I mean, who are they <laughs> going to get to believe that? And if you look at the arguments on the Republican side, right? Deflection, get over it, there was no quid pro quo. That's going to be proven by, by this testimony, not by some Democrats sitting on the dais, by the testimony of the people who are there who have zero motive to go after the president. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be a huge I, PR problem for the Republicans. Right. I want to go back to the, again, so-called bombshell, that extra that extra <laughs> call. And it came out in conversation, well, right. 
it, it in, came out in um, Ambassador Taylor's opening statement, but then Chairman Schiff followed up with his questions to, uh, to Mr. Taylor. And Ambassador Sondland told President Trump that the Ukrainians were ready to move forward? He did. And I think you said that after the call, when your staff asked Ambassador Sondland what President Trump thought of Ukraine, his response was that President Trump cares more about the investigations of Biden. Is that right? And Burisma, yes, sir. And I, I take it the import of that is he cares more about that than he does about Ukraine. Yes, sir. The reason I want to play that is because one other takeaway for me yesterday is that I thought that um, after throughout throughout what one thing we learned was that Donald Trump was very very much involved in what was going on. Right. Absolutely. I absolutely. mean, it was not just Rudy Giuliani that the orders were coming and it came up in several places. That one in particular, the orders were coming directly from not even from the chief of staff, from the president. Yeah, and not only involved what's going on, it's another example of him being involved with what's going on on the behalf of Russia. So at some point, the Democrats are probably going to point out in this that this president of ours always seems to be doing something on behalf of Russia. But yeah, he was person to person involved. There is no middle man in these in these stories. And what they're doing is they're putting Sondland in a box, right? They've been complaining, you know, the witnesses that we saw yesterday don't have uh, firsthand knowledge. They did not speak to the president. That's what Republicans have been saying. That's right. what conservative media has been saying. Uh, but Sondland is someone who was in communication with the president. And this is the second time, if, if this uh, story pans out, that Sondland will have failed to uh, reveal material information to Congress. Before right. with his deposition, <laughs> he needed to basically come out uh, after there was other testimony and say, oh, that quid pro quo. Yes, I did, in fact, <laughs> talk about a quid pro quo. And now Sondland has so, to come back and admit this conversation, which he didn't disclose. So, exactly. Reed, to your point about how much interest is there going to be down the road, right, for any other hearings, I, which I concur with, um, but we will hear now from a couple of people who were actually on the call or talking directly to Donald Trump, unlike Taylor and Kent. Right. I right. mean, and that's, that, I mean, we, I think it remains to be seen how many things we are going to find out that we don't already know mm -hmm. from previous testimony and statements and, and whatnot and reports that have come out from what, six, six or seven weeks of these depositions. Right. And so, uh, you know, it certainly helps the Democrats' case and to keep interest in these hearings and the storyline if we're talk if there's new revelations, right? Um, but I think it's it, I just am not convinced that we're going to see any significant change in public opinion on this. I think people have made their minds up. Uh, I think all you had to do was look at the if you had Fox News and MSNBC on mute with the hearings on just to see the chirons that they had on the screen, how they were describing what was going on. It was like markedly different. And that's before you get into various social media, that's going to clip these hearing clip, these uh, pieces of the hearings up. So people are going to see what they want out of it. And so this is not there. I don't know that we're going to see a Watergate situation where senior congressional Republicans go to the white house and say it's over. Um, because that's just not the ecosystem that we live in these days. Uh, right. And that didn't happen with Bill Clinton. Either. It didn't happen with Bill Clinton. Um, so looking forward, um, will we see, will we hear from John Bolton? What do you think? 
Uh, so I, I think the, the John Bolton situation right now is that he has uh, his his lawyer has said that he will testify if a if, court forces him to testify, which means more or less. probably so, we're not going to hear from him. Yeah, well, one of the problems with this sort of deep state, there's nothing to see here argument that Jim Jordan and everybody's using is the president blocking all the testimony of the major players. So if there's nothing to see here, why can't they testify? So that's going to become a, a problem. At some point, right? I mean, if it's the deep state, then John Bolton will come in and say it's the deep state. Mulvaney will say it's the deep state. It's, it's you know, this crazy thing and there's nothing to see here. The reason they're not testifying is because they'd be purged. You know, they they want to avoid criticizing the president. And, and it's clear. So, I mean, I, I don't think we're going to see Bolton or Mulvaney, right? We're going to, we, I think we know the people that Adam Schiff has announced are the ones we're going to hear from and there won't be any, any surprises. In that. And we're probably not going to hear from Rudy Giuliani either for right. the same Right. For the same reason. Uh, well, then the question comes, which Jim Jordan raised yesterday, will we ever hear from the person who started it all? Here, here's that exchange. Now, there is one witness, one witness that they won't bring in front of us. They won't bring in front of the American people. That's the guy who started it all, the whistleblower. Thank you. I say to my Peter colleague, Ross, I'd be glad to have uh, the, the person who started it all come in and testify. Uh, President Trump is welcome uh, to take a seat right there. Uh, actually, we have heard from we we don't have to wait to hear from him. We've heard from him several times. Even during the hearings yesterday, we heard from him. He's had plenty to say. On the subject. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, the whistleblower thing is always interesting because but, the Republicans, you know, obviously argued during Fast and Furious and Benghazi that whistleblowers are important, and now they have to completely shift. And it goes back to their inherent problem, which is the facts are not on their side. So, But there is a, this, this curious um, crusade on the part of uh, Jim Jordan particularly to out the whistleblower. Right. Started with President Trump, but to out the whistleblower. Um and I thought it was interesting as so when at one point he asserted to Adam Schiff, you know who he is, so we all deserve to know who he is. And Adam Schiff said, no, I don't. I mean, it's just it, it allows them to continue a storyline that something is being hidden from the American people. And that, regardless of the whistleblower's identity or what his, uh, we know it's a man, what his sort of political right. inclinations are, uh, are less material, certainly than what he said, because what he said has been corroborated by many other people at this point. But also, but the sense, all they need is all that Jordan and Republicans and tr the president are trying to perpetuate is this idea that something is being hidden from the American people. And that is good enough, an argument for them that they can keep pushing that, whether the underlying pieces of it make any sense or not. At the same time, Matt, you'd have to say, in a sense, the whistleblower is like, who cares anymore, right? I mean, every, well, as, as Reed just said, everything he said has been corroborated. And he said in the beginning, he was not a first eyewitness or on the call or anything. Find out people who were. Everything he said has been corroborated by multiple witnesses since. We don't really need to hear from him. Yeah, I mean, I think you can either uh, argue that only firsthand witnesses are important, or you can argue that the whistleblower is important, but it's very hard to do both, since uh, the whistleblower did not have firsthand knowledge. Uh, the, the whistleblower did do one thing that I think is uh, very important. It, it, by virtue of the fact that uh, he filed that complaint, 
uh, the military aid to Ukraine was subsequently released uh, once it became clear uh, that, uh, you know, Congress was going to take an interest in it. Uh, you know, the Trump administration did sort of let that go. And so the the scheme failed by virtue of the fact that the whistleblower uh, submitted the complaint. And that that is, I think, the importance of the whistleblower in the whole story. OK, so to transition, we'll take a break. I want to talk about 2020, but first, before we even get to the break, to transition to the break and to the rest of our conversation, what impact, if any, is all of this having on the 2020 race? Reed, you reported this week that out on the road, when the candidates at their town halls, they're just flooded with questions about impeachment, right? No one cares about impeachment in Iowa. Um, I mean, I think um, we had a, a statistic in the story that of the last 140 questions that Elizabeth Warren has received at her town halls across the country, zero questions have been about impeachment. Um, and it's just, it, it doesn't come up. It's not, if you go to events, campaign events in Iowa, New Hampshire, and elsewhere, uh, and ask the people who are there, like what they care about or what issues they're thinking about, nobody says impeachment. It's just not on the front of minds. Uh, it is for Democratic primary and caucus, primary voters and caucus goers. It is baked in at this point. And frankly, there's not that much difference between the candidates on this issue. Um, right. They have all said that Trump should be impeached and removed from office. Uh, and and so I think the the primary voters don't see much use in asking about it or, or talking about it much because it's it's they all sort of are of the same mind on it. Right. Uh, I had a conversation with Ed O'Keefe, the political director for CBS News the other day, who said that he finds on the road the very same thing as reporters do, which is not necessarily all bad news, is it, Lauren? I mean, well, if they're interested in, I don't know, the other issues that come up, I would imagine healthcare comes up a lot. Healthcare, education, uh, the economy, uh, right. climate change, gun control, and the issues that you would expect Democrats to be engaged on. Barnes? Yeah, I suspect that there's probably never an election. Uh, I know that when I went to Iowa for ABC News years ago, I can't think of a foreign policy topic ever coming up in any real <laughs> way anyway. Um, I don't know that the obviously somebody voting in Iowa, New Hampshire, or any place else in this country, it's always been about bread and butter issues, which is part of the reason why Trump won on America first and talking sure. about uh, America and, and, and really to immigration. The only thing is when the president's approvals are so low, it, it impacts it impacts other things. Obviously, in Virginia, we just saw, I think, an example of that where, you know, we might certainly argue that in every primary and every caucus, uh, you know, we're not going to be talking about Ukraine. But certainly the state of the Republican Party matters. The fact that the turnout has gone off the chain in Virginia to a gubernatorial level in an off year when it's usually nobody showing up matters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Trump finally polling. We got that poll that came out, I guess it was three weeks ago, that showed that most Americans uh, are OK with impeachment, which was, I thought, a shocker. So I certainly can understand why it wouldn't be on the ground talked about. But I do think it's a big issue. And Matt may very well be behind us by the time we really get rolling into the certainly the general election but maybe even most of the primary 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it could be. I, I'm, I'm not really sure about how the timeline is going to play out for, you know, these hearings, anything that happens in the ju- Judiciary Committee in the House and then, you know, over to the Senate, um, whether that'll be end up with a if there is impeachment, whether it is a short trial, a long trial, it's kind of hard to say at this point. Right. OK, so let's uh, take a break from our roundtable with uh, Lauren Burke, Black Press USA, Reed Epstein from The New York Times and Matt Gertz from Media Matters. Today's podcast, today's roundtable brought to you by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters under the leadership of President Jim Hoffa. The Teamsters out there doing great work all across the country. As they say, they're a lot more than truck drivers. They represent everybody from A to Z, from airline pilots to zookeepers. Yes, all under the Teamsters, teamsters.org. That's their website. We thank them for the support of the podcast. Check out their website, teamster.org. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Back to our roundtable with uh, Matt Gertz and Lauren Burke and Reed Epstein. And how exciting, just what we need, three, maybe three new candidates jumping into the Democratic primary. Really? Well, former Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick says he's definitely, I think he may have actually announced he this did, morning. He did a video out this morning. A video out this morning. Uh, first he said next week, and then he moved it up actually to this morning. Uh Michael Bloomberg, of course, has filed in a couple of states to make sure that he could be on the ballot if he, in fact, announces he's running. 
And then Hillary Clinton says, many, many, many people, I'd like to know who they are, are encouraging her to run. Uh, okay, Reed, you're on the road. Room for three more. Deval Patrick is going to make it. Is it? Look, isn't it just too late for anybody to jump in? It depends, right? Um, <laughs> let's let's take them one at a time, right? All right. Uh, Bloomberg can do whatever he wants because he has unlimited money. Uh, and so if Bloomberg wants to take out an insurance policy on Joe Biden doing poorly in the first four states, uh, it sort of feels like that's what he's doing. He's getting going to get himself on the ballot elsewhere. Uh, he's going to do what he did when he ran for mayor of New York City, which is put anybody he can on the payroll for a lot of money. <laughs> you know, a lot of people yeah. are going to pay their kids college tuitions or put a pool on their in the back of their house or uh, do any number, you know, many progressive organizations are going to have their budgets funded for decades by aligning themselves with the Bloomberg campaign uh, if it should take off in any way. Um, but I do not have the sense that there is any critical mass of human beings who are going to participate in the Democratic presidential nomination nominating contest that are out there saying, give us Mike Bloomberg and Deval Patrick. Um People generally are pretty happy with the field, uh, the the sort of the conundrum that people in Iowa have expressed to me and my colleagues is that there are too many good candidates and they, they don't know who to pick among the good candidates, not that they yeah. wish there was someone else. Well, so Lauren, who, who are these many, 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 <laughs> many people who are encouraging Hillary to get in? Oh, gosh, I think they're the Outside same people. Outside of Bill and Chelsea. <laughs> the same people that Reed just referred to, which is there's no, there's no one out there other than the people immediately <laughs> in these people's lives. At least with Hillary, she does have, she can say, look, I numerically won. Obviously she right. lost, you know, she lost, obviously lost the electoral college, but she got 2.7 million more votes than Donald Trump. At least she's got that on her side, right? I don't know what makes her want to put out there into the press this idea that she might jump in at any she second. She just it. can't she help herself. I think it's just part of the political personality, you know, as far as we've all been around enough politicians to know they just want to be in the conversation, even when they're not in the conversation. And why anybody would say, you know, I'm running for president 81 days before the Iowa caucus, uh, I have no idea. It's a funny thing. I sat next to Deval Patrick at Elijah Cummings' funeral, and I had no sense whatsoever that this man, three weeks later, was going to say, you know what, I think I'm going to run for president. (laughs) You know, he's just sort of sitting there with not a whole staff or anything else. Except except what was he doing at Elijah Cummings' funeral? He was just... But he didn't, he hadn't worked in Maryland. That he didn't question. hadn't really ever worked with Elijah Cummings, and not only that, he was two rows from Elizabeth Warren and Bill Clinton, and I did not see him go up and approach them after the funerals. So I, I didn't see anything that uh, meant this guy's going to. I do was something. talking to somebody else who was there and uh, this weekend, <laughs> and this person was saying that uh, when when he was there, he was very he looked up and he saw Elijah Cummings and was very confused because he didn't think Elijah Cummings or he had seen. Deval Patrick, he didn't right. think that Deval Patrick had ever even met Elijah Cummings. Right, oh. right, right, right. And I don't, you know, I don't I, know what world he they would have met in. That's a good point. You, uh, I, I just, <laughs> you missed your chance. You uh-huh. could have gone down in history as saying, <laughs> and at that funeral, I turned to Deval Patrick. He said, <laughs> <laughs> you, totally could have you could have been the kingmaker totally right at that, <laughs> at that point. Yeah, uh, I don't, I don't uh, get it. Matt, but, your take on too late. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I think. 
people want to be president for some reason. I don't know. It seems like a very bad job to me, but uh, many, many people uh, seem to think that it would be something that they would like to do. They're going to get in. They're going to try. We'll see what happens. I think the Hillary Clinton thing is like obviously something that is not going to happen, but we all love talking about Hillary Clinton. <laughs> like all journalists love talking about the Clintons. So we will give it some chatter, um, but like it's, it's not actually going to happen. I think we all know that. And but overall, by the by the way, you you just mentioned uh, to uh, I believe uh, read earlier, and I just wanted to point out that the Bloomberg strategy is reminds me of Rudy Giuliani in two thousand and eight, who said I'm going to skip the first four states and focus on Florida. Right. Except Rudy like but, ran a real campaign throughout the course of the year. Um, but he he didn't participate in the first primary. But he was. That's not. That's no, not. That's, that's a little revisionist, right? Because oh, I spent yeah. a lot of time in New Hampshire. I was at really? Newsday at the time and spent a lot of time in yeah. New Hampshire chasing Rudy Giuliani and Pete. King, so he who, was on. He yeah. was in New Hampshire a fair amount. It was when it was clear that he wasn't going to do well in New Hampshire that he uh, announced this big Iowa strategy. Well, that was not his plan from the beginning. I got it. Got it. And and at any rate, in two thousand and eight, we saw how well he did. Uh, in Florida. But isn't this whole idea that more people may have to jump in a reflection on a lack of confidence, shall we say, in Joe Biden? Absolutely. That's exactly what it well, is. Well, especially <laughs> from donors. And that's the thing. And the, you have two of the three leading candidates. And there's four, there's essentially four leading mm-hmm. candidates at this point Biden, Warren, uh, Pete Buttigieg, uh, and Bernie Sanders. And the stronger that Warren and Bernie Sanders are, the more that you see uh, donors, especially donors in the Northeast and on Wall Street, New York donors, Wall right. Street donors, who are starting to really freak out about they uh, could get stuck about with Warren with Elizabeth Warren, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. none, no, but none of them actually believe that Bernie Sanders could win the nomination. But Warren, they see as as very formidable, and people have seen Joe Biden in person and they are starting to worry. Uh, and that is what well, a lot of this is about. And we've all seen him in the debates where let's just say his yeah. performance has been somewhat lacking, but Matt, you know, he got a big, big uh, boost yesterday. Tim Ryan endorsed. Him. Yeah. I, I mean, I think there's sort of a, 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 a breakdown here between the establishment, which is worried about its the candidate field and the voters who democratic voters are like more satisfied with the uh, field than uh, the last, I, I think going back to 1992 uh, in the polling will indicate. So um, then again, you know, you could argue that establishment, that the sort of donor class and the uh, political strategist class pay more attention on a daily basis than the, the overall voter class is at this point. So Okay. But so one person who seems to benefit from all of this uncertainty is certainly in Iowa, and you've been out there, Pete Buttigieg. In the latest poll that I saw, number one leading the pack uh, in Iowa. Is this a momentary Buddha judge bubble? How do you read it? He's going to do very well in Iowa. Um, He's got a lot of money. Tailor made, tailor made for a candidate like him. Uh, he, a lot of people there say he remind. They feel the same way they felt when they saw Obama. Um, he kind of speaks in kind of the language of hope, without a whole lot of specifics in at least in he has offered them, but he doesn't mm-hmm. push them out every day. The problem is that he has like basically zero support among black and Hispanic people uh, in across the country. And you just can't be the democratic nominee if you do not have significant, a significant base of support in uh, black and Latino community. Can you fix that, Lauren? 
Uh, he probably could fix it. He was pretty candid at the debate with regard to the issue in South Bend, uh, the police issue you had in South Bend, which is, I just didn't get it done, which is a candid answer that is true, and, and he didn't try to run away from it. Uh, I don't know, though. I mean, if the if Biden's argument and theory of the case is, I'm the only person that can beat Trump, then I don't know what Pete Buttigieg's theory of the case is. I don't think anybody actually thinks that somebody who is the mayor of a city that's smaller than Richmond, Virginia, 100,000 people, is going to be the next president of the United States. So that's why we keep getting Deval Patrick and Mike Bloomberg looking up at the stage and saying, you know what, I think I'm going to run for president. <laughs> and I think part of that might be, too, Bloomberg's case, sort of a little bit of jealousy about Tom Steyer buying him his way oh. up to the stage. But the point is that I don't know how, you know, if it's not Warren, I don't know who you can say unequivocally can take on Trump in a debate setting and a messaging setting and and that type of platform I don't think works well for Buttigieg. But if he wins Iowa, okay, he'll get a bump. He'll get a media bump, and that's great. But I don't know what happens. But Matt, that. if he wins Iowa, it doesn't necessarily mean, as we know from those of us who have been out there, <laughs> that he goes all the way. I remember Mike Huckabee. I remember <laughs> Rick Santorum, Tom Harkin. Who else? <laughs> but. Though you also remember Barack Obama, and <laughs> yes, Hillary Clinton, you know that there is there is some record, uh, particularly on the Democratic side of of the candidate winning Iowa and then being able to sort of march uh, on from there. But however, in those cases specifically, uh, you know, those candidates had African American voters on their side, and it's I, I guess I think that is I think the point that we're all right. getting to that it's unclear if Buttigieg is going to be able to pull that off and unite these sort of. Um, Broad coalition, yeah. right? right. right. Um, the Obama coalition. White, yeah, the right. white professional <laughs> class with the African-American. Right. We, and we point. just don't know. Like right now, Joe Biden is sitting on a wide swath of support among African-American voters in the South, in South Carolina in particular. And that a lot of that is because he is seen as sort of the least risky Democrat to take on Trump. And so what we don't know is what happens if Biden finishes fourth in Iowa. Like, do those people yeah. stay with him? And if they leave him, where do they go? And all of the polling would suggest that if they are to leave Biden, they would go to Warren or Bernie Sanders. Um, they are the second choice. Not to uh, an Amy Klobuchar. Not to Klobuchar. a more not to a more ideological candidate. It's hmm. it's not an, it's less an ideological issue than an issue of who can win and who is the winner. And if you look at these polls of who is the second choice. Uh, everyone, every other leading candidate, their second choice is Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> wow, there we go. And on that note, uh, we wrap up our talk about 2020. Uh, we always ask you to come with some story. It could be one we've talked about, maybe, hopefully not, whatever, um, that struck you this week, just struck your fancy for whatever reason, made you smile or groan or grimace. Uh, you want to share with us your favorite story of the week, Lauren? You know what? Um it's a combination of Steve Miller and the emails coming out, which surprised absolutely nobody. And a former colleague of mine that I used to be around on the Hill named Meredith Schreiner, who then tweeted, I think last night, that, uh, you know, everybody should remember these Steve Miller emails from when he was uh, Jeff Sessions' press secretary and was doing the exact same thing. And I thought that was a a very good point <laughs> because Steve Miller was on the he was on Capitol Hill as Jeff Sessions aide and he was constantly really being a pain in the neck and he used to message that way then. So the fact that this has all come out, I think for all Hill reporters who were around about four or five years ago, should be 
uh, no surprise. Should not be surprised that we get in Steve Miller what we get today. Exactly, right. right. So, Bill, as you know, my my favorite uh, media conspiracy theory is that – Operatives from the Democratic Socialists of America have infiltrated the real estate sections of the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, and that what they're trying to do is expose uh, the ridiculous amounts of money uh, that the wealthy have in this country in order to bring down the system from within. Uh, So in that line, my favorite article uh, recently is uh, from the Wall Street Journal real estate section. It is headlined, the super rich are buying $100 million homes. For some, one isn't enough. Uh, apparently there are people out there who have so much money that they have made multiple nine figure real estate purchases. It's basically native advertising for Elizabeth Warren's political campaign. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, are they buying yachts as well? Uh, I would assume so. I mean, what, what else are you going to do with your billions of dollars? Talk about income inequality, right? Yeah, it lives. Um, so I, I try to, you know, since we, I live in this world on a regular basis, I try to find stories that are outside of that. And there was a story in the times yesterday about a man in Russia who was told his 22 pound cat was too fat to fly on Aeroflot. (laughs) And so at the airport, he subbed out a 15 pound cat went at the weigh in. A friend's, brought a friend's cat to the weigh-in at the airport oh. and then switched them back <laughs> to bring his 22-pound cat on the plane. I love it. And then Instagrammed his way across this cross-country flight in Russia. He, The airline was furious. They took all of his frequent flyer miles away. Um, <laughs> they said he was banned from Aeroflot. And apparently this was such a big deal in Russia that it came up on a, on a uh, conference press conference call that Vladimir Putin had with Russian journalists. And in the story, it says that Mr. Putin said that the Kremlin did not comment about cats. Oh <laughs> <laughs> I love that made it all the way to the presidential right. news conference. Good. A perfect well, my, conference call. Uh, mm-hmm. My f- favorite story of the week is not a very happy one, but if any of you have been to Venice, you know what a magical city it is. And I would just say, l- watching the news this week, I kept thinking, if you want to see Miami, or New York tomorrow. Look at Venice, Italy today. Uh, second lar- highest floods in history, um, which the mayor blames totally on climate change. He points out that Venice is flooded. By the way, just to show, it is 6.14 feet above sea level, the, the, the current flood. St. Mark's is flooded. La, La Felice, the opera house is flooded. People have been swimming in St. Mark's Square. I mean, it's they they say they recommend wearing thigh high boots to get around. Eighty five percent of the city is flooded, um, and the mayor pointed out that the city has flooded six times in the last twelve hundred years, four of them in the last twenty years. So I said clearly climate change, but this is this is a good sign of why we ought to be taking climate change seriously. I think, and I, if you want to see Venice, you'd better get there pretty quickly because <laughs> it may not be around much longer. Uh, Great conversation, lots to talk about, and another impeachment hearing uh, tomorrow, and maybe two or three more candidates may jump in um, by the time we get together next week. Reed Epstein, good to see you. Thanks for coming in. Lauren Burke, always good to have you back. Thank Thank you. you. And Matt Gertz, great to see you. Always a pleasure. I will wrap up with a a parting shot, which is my comments only, and not necessarily those of the uh, members of our panel. But uh, after yesterday's hearing... Let me just reflect, there's still a long way to go in the impeachment inquiry. More hearings, more witnesses, more charges and countercharges, drafting of articles of impeachment, a vote in the House, and then, if the House votes to impeach, a trial in the Senate. 
But no matter how long it drags on, we're not likely to learn much more than we learned yesterday in the first hearing. Indeed, we almost learned it all from three memorable sentences in Chairman Adam Schiff's opening statement. First, the facts are not contested, he began, and then proceeded to very calmly, very precisely lay out the timeline of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Ukraine fighting back with the help of the United States, and then Donald Trump ordering that any more military help to Ukraine be withheld until the president of Ukraine publicly announced that he was opening two investigations to help Trump in his re-election for 2020. Second, quote, the matter is as simple and as terrible as that, Adam Schiff noted, and then summed up again the challenge facing the Congress. Given their duty to protect and defend the Constitution, they're now faced with a president who tried to shake down a foreign leader to dig up dirt on his political opponent, putting opponent, Putting all politics aside, Schiff concluded, third sentence, quote, if this is not impeachable conduct, what is? Again, no matter how long this process drags out, it won't get any more clear-cut than that, in my opinion. They might as well hold the vote today. Get it over with. Hold the vote now. Get it over with and move on. My parting shout for today and our roundtable for today. Again, thanks to all of our panelists. Thanks to all of you for listening. Uh, there'll be more public hearings next week. We'll dig into those the next time. But for now, we leave you with this reminder. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the Bill Press Pod. It's easy and it's free. Just go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or tune in wherever you go for podcasts. Search out the Bill Press Pod, click on subscribe, and you're in. And then, if you like what you hear, please give us a big, fat five-star review. Also, to really keep up to date, follow me on Twitter at Bill Press Pods. That'll, keep you, that'll give you an alert every time a new episode of our podcast is posted. Again, thanks to our panel. Thanks to all of you for being with us. Stay strong, and we'll be looking for you on the next episode of The Bill Press Pod. <laughs>